welcome. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. There is a lot of excitement from a lot of interest groups in coming to Washington, D.C. to experience the first woman being sworn in as Vice President of the United States. And they will still come to Washington. And our goal is to make sure that they understand, one, what the criteria is in terms of safety, but two, know what they can, what will be accessible to them while they're here in the city, which won't be much. And um, But we know they're going to want to come and they're going to want to be in Washington, D.C. to be able to look back and say, I was in Washington in 2021 during a terrible time with the pandemic and an interesting four years in Washington, D.C. to experience the change that's happening on January 20th. That's Elliot Ferguson, the president and CEO of Destination DC, the organization responsible for promoting tourism, conventions, and visitation in the nation's capital. What happens in Washington impacts the USA and the world, and promoting a city that's always in the spotlight makes the job of promoting DC a challenging one, even in the best of times. While people come to Washington, D.C. for all sorts of reasons, after all, it is the nation's capital, Elliot reminds us that there is more to D.C. than meets the eye. We call the DMV home, but it's the Washingtonians who make the District of Columbia an interesting cultural and culinary force. Not only will you find unique neighborhoods and one of the greenest urban areas anywhere on the planet, the Washington we've come to know is a diverse place that draws people from all over the country and every corner of the world. Even in challenging times, Washington, D.C. shows a resilience that might belie popular perceptions. Ironically, our interview with Elliot was conducted moments before the insurrection at the Capitol that occurred on January 6, 2021. So keep that in mind as you listen. Here's our conversation with Elliot Ferguson. Elliot, it is so nice to see you again. It's been years. I think the last time we saw you was at IPW, which was quite some time ago. Yes, it has been. When um, the museum was open, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's good to see you both as well. And uh, thank you very much for taking some time to, to talk to me. And Happy New Year. Happy oh, New Year to you, too. Same to you. <laughs> you know, I was thinking earlier, I find it really interesting that we're speaking to you on a day when the 46th president is being confirmed. Um by Congress, <laughs> and we have all the, these people in, and uh, D.C. has gone through um, quite a lot of um, interesting activities over the last year, from COVID to the social unrest we, we've seen, and you know we've lived here for quite some time, and we know that's not the face of D.C., but because we are the seat of government, things like that happen. And given that the inaugural committee is, you know, the inauguration is coming up and the inaugural committee is discouraging travel uh, to DC because of the aforementioned things. What, what is this going to look like? What is this inauguration going to look like? And what are you anticipating? 
Yeah, it's 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 a, a very interesting question. You know, I, I moved to D.C. 19 years ago from from Georgia, from Savannah, well, from Atlanta, which is where I was living. And the thing that I remembered most as I watched things happening in Washington is the fact that this is a city where people feel comfortable in coming to exercise their First Amendment right. And, uh, you know, from looking at the Dr. Martin Luther King March on Washington to, um, to, to, um, to other events and activities that have taken place in Washington, D.C., uh, it's no surprise that even though a lot of the things that are happening, uh, that things are happening around the U.S., that it all kind of zeroes in on Washington, D.C., uh, because of um, us being the seat of power for the U.S., including the opportunity every four years to host the inauguration. As an economic development organization, we do look at it through the lens of the economic impact to the city as a whole. January is not a busy month for meetings or conventions or tourism. So any business in January is good business, especially inauguration. And um, clearly, as we're looking at um, what will be happening in the city on January 20th, we're also focusing on what won't be happening and equally as much what messaging should be um, put out for those who are still planning to come to Washington, because we know for a fact that people will still want to be here. Mm-hmm. Elliot, we're going to touch on some of those things in a bit, but I wanted to ask you, typically with an inauguration, It's really an inauguration week with balls and galas. Uh, We obviously know about Inauguration Day. With respect to those events and some of the ones that most people watch on their television but don't really get a chance to see, what's going to happen with those sorts of events? Because many of those events are held in facilities like the Convention Center and the D.C. Armory. And let's face it, they're closed. Yeah, uh, to your point, quite frankly, none of the traditional events, the official inauguration balls, the unofficial balls that are done by states and caucuses and other organizations, all those events that traditionally take place in Washington will not happen on January 20th. The parade that traditionally um, uh, is an opportunity for the new president to to, um, go to the White House and traditionally get out of the car and spend time with the crowds, those things will not happen in January. What will happen is, of course, the swearing in of uh, President-elect Biden on the National Mall with limited access by the general public to actually witness that. The thing about Washington as a destination and, um, you know, during this pandemic, we've been able to really test this more than anything else is that people come for these events, uh, but they also come to experience Washington as a destination. So we know our monuments and memorials will still be accessible by those individuals. We're not sure where we'll be in terms of reopening our museums and other attractions. Um, but And then we're also hoping uh, prayerfully that there may be something later on in the year that the presidential inaugural committee might want to consider doing based on where we are with this pandemic. So that's where we are right now. Unfortunately, it's going to be totally different and the economic impact clearly will be uh, significantly impacted in a negative way because of because of the pandemic. I know that the mayor's office would likely answer questions about safety and uh, health concerns. And certainly, you know, there are protesters on both sides in the city today, and there may likely be some on inauguration uh, day, January 20th. So in whatever capacity you can speak to this, what is being done? How is a city 
addressing safety issues and uh, this ongoing pesky pandemic, which will not leave us alone. How is tourism handling just all of those different dynamics and, and particularly, you know, with, with regards to safety? I think that's probably a paramount concern to most visitors coming into D.C. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the mayor's position has been fairly clear in terms of um, what people should or should not do on January 20th. Her recommendation is to not come, as has the presidential inaugural committee's recommendation. That's not the mayor saying that you can't come, but they're recommending that you can't come, that you should not come simply because of the pandemic. If you do choose to come to Washington, it's very clear that being tested for COVID and socially distancing before you come to Washington after you're tested and test negative is extremely important. It's also very clear that if you are in Washington, D.C., indoors, outdoors, outside of the confines of whatever space you're staying in, you must wear a mask. You must follow the protocol tied to safety in Washington, D.C. Our website, Washington.org, which is in place for visitors coming to the city, has all of the, the, the protocol in place in terms of what the expectations are in terms of traveling to the city. Safety, as you can imagine, with every inauguration is always a big deal. I'd like to think that Washington, D.C., more than any other city in the world, is probably more prepared to make sure that people are safe. We have so many policing agencies that really coordinate and work together to make sure that people are safe. And they, they look at every potential scenario that they need to focus on. Crowd control and the fact that people come here to, again, exercise their First Amendment right. It happens so often in the city that it is something that not only our city is prepared for in policing agencies, but also the major venues in Washington, because, again, it's the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. And just a, a quick follow up, you know, in 2008, 2012, certainly 2008, this country made history. This election, this country is making history again with uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris being the first black vice president. And so people are, you know, we, we may not see the crowds that we saw in 2008 and 2012 because of the pandemic. And so because of that, and, and because we are, we have been living in a pandemic uh, for a year now, what has been the economic impact or what will the economic impact be on the um, uh, smaller uh, amounts of travelers coming for this monumentous uh, event? Yeah, I, I think the reality is, and to your point, the 2009 inauguration of President Obama was historic. It was a significant economic, had a significant economic impact on the city. We saw the crowds on the National Mall. I have a picture of it on my on my on, on the wall here in the office. In terms of the sheer number of people that were in the city um, during that time frame, we we experienced nearly 98% occupancy in our hotels. Uh, the city was doing extremely well. It was a outside of it being a little cold. It was a, a great experience, and there was a lot of um, positive energy because of it. It was more than a little cold, Elliot. We were it was there. <laughs> yes. but, but we were all warmed by our by the excitement and energy tied to really witnessing history and mm -hmm. witnessing history that many, including members of the black community, did not think that we'd see in our lifetimes. So that it was um, our hearts were warm, which made it a lot easier. Um, yeah. You know, a, a second term presidency is never as large as a first term. 
So I, I moved to D.C. and I witnessed the second inauguration of President Bush, which was smaller than the first one. So this is my fifth. Our current president, the numbers tied to his inauguration were supplemented by the Women's March. Whereas if it wasn't for the three-day Women's March in the city, we would have seen a significant negative impact economically tied to the first or second inaugurations for President Obama. As we look at 2021, we know that first black female, first female of Asian descent, first uh, female that finished at an H from an HBCU that happens to be in Washington, a member of a sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha that was founded in Washington, D.C. My wife's a member of that sorority as well. There is a lot of excitement from a lot of interest groups in coming to Washington, D.C. to experience the first woman being sworn in as vice president of the United States. And they will still come to Washington. And our goal is to make sure they understand, one, what the criteria is in terms of safety, but two, know what they can, what will be accessible to them while they're here in the city, which won't be much. And um, But we know they're going to want to come and they're going to want to be in Washington, D.C. to be able to look back and say, I was in Washington in 2021 during a terrible time with the pandemic and an interesting four years in Washington, D.C. to experience the change that's happening on January 20th. Even if people can't experience history in real time in Washington, there's always that desire to come here to see where history was made. And in that vein, mm -hmm. how will Destination D.C. use this year's inauguration, given this historic backdrop of things coming together with Kamala Harris and just where we are as, as a country to promote future visitation to Washington? Yeah, we'll continue to focus on Quite frankly, a lot of the things that happened in 2020, dealing with social injustice, Black Lives Matter Plaza, which was a bold direction of our mayor that uh, was copied globally, that has become an attraction. We'll make sure we focus on ways in which people can still be in the city and enjoy some of the things that perhaps have happened over the last 12 to 18 months, as well as communicate to them what is available. Again, we don't know where we will be in terms of being able to sit physically in a restaurant and have a meal. Right now that's off, off limits. The museums are totally closed. Once we know what we're able to promote, it'll be on our website, washington.org, so individuals can know and see, see for themselves how they can plan their time in Washington, D.C. And we'll continue to memorialize that well beyond January 20th, because again, you know, we're looking at how will the president, then President Biden, and his administration want to, once again, look at an opportunity to do more later in the year versus on January 20th, because you know he, he deserves that right to, to have those inaugural balls, to have a parade. Mm -hmm. And um, we want to be able to promote that opportunity if it does manifest for individuals to come to the city. We'll also focus on how the museums will take information tied to the Black Lives Matter movement, which is still ongoing, memorialize it in a way where individuals can go to the museums and maybe outside monuments and, and see for themselves what the impact of George Floyd and so many other individual murders that, that took place in, in our country and how they were protested during 2020 and how we will continue to move forward. And speaking of Washington at this time, 
We know where, where we've been for the past several months here, and a lot of things are shut down. But Washington is still open for business. We have the metro operating. What's happening with respect to hotels? We've had some significant facilities that have opened some new hotels, but just give people kind of a global sense, even with everything that's not been well in tourism, what are some of the things that people can experience if they do come in? What can we kind of look forward to down the road? Yeah, absolutely. You know, just like uh, what's happening in the city right now with those that are here during a similar scenario that may or may not hopefully exist on January 20th in terms of openings, hotels are open. The attractions, the wharf is open. I bet if we are walking around the city tomorrow, once the streets reopen, we'll see people that are that came in down for their right to exercise their First Amendment, paying attention to other things they can see and do in Washington, D.C., and hopefully in a peaceful way. We are banking on the fact that, you know, our website tells you which hotels are open. And for the most part, a lot of them have reopened. Not all, not all the bigger hotels, because they simply cannot uh, make a profit based on the, the size of the number of people they can physically meet. But there are rooms available in the city. There are hotels that are experiencing some degree or some spike in occupancy during the January 20th timeframe, which reemphasizes the fact that people still want to be here. So our goal is to make sure that, again, know what you can do. Hopefully we'll have some degree of indoor dining available and maybe other attractions will be able to reopen. And we'll make sure that those individuals can plan an itinerary above and beyond um, whatever glimpse they might have of what's happening on the National Mall. And, I, you know, that's not my way of guaranteeing that they'll be able to see anything on the National Mall. If they just still decide to come to Washington, D.C., our goal is to make sure they know what they can see and do. Well, the mor memorials certainly are still available. They're, you know, they're not closed down, right? Uh, absolutely. The, 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 again, the, the nice thing about the city is that monuments and memorials are outdoors. You can socially distance and you can still rent a bike or you can walk uh, to a lot of the memorials and monuments in the city. The waterfront, um, you know, the wharf is still an option. Other parts of the city, retail is still open and you can still order food. You just cannot physically eat in a restaurant, but there are opportunities to eat outdoors and restaurants have become very creative in terms of ways of keeping people warm during the winter months and, um, and even the Plastic igloos have popped up around the city, whereas you can sit in one of those and socially distance and enjoy a, a great meal. So there are options that are available in the city and we'll, be, we'll make sure that individuals know how they can enjoy those options. This is the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift we have just for subscribers. Here's more of our conversation with Destination DC President and CEO Elliot Ferguson as we discuss the 2021 presidential inauguration and the state of tourism in Washington, DC, both which have been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. I want to ask you about another very popular holiday here in, that people flock to, and that's Cherry Blossom Festival. What's being planned this year? Last year we didn't, well, people were asked not to come 
and they still came. And so I'm anticipating, I'm sure you are anticipating the same will happen this year, but are there any other things like the, the parade and? Yeah, it's, it's more, you know, last year we were right at the beginning of shutting down. If you recall, that's that was when America was kind of coming to grips with the pandemic and up to a, a couple weeks prior to the Cherry Blossom Festival, they were still planning and then things shut down. I think the reality is the cherry blossoms and cherry trees will still bloom. They're outside, you can socially distance. What won't happen would be a lot of the traditional events, again, parade, other activities and festivities that are tied to the Japanese community. You won't be able to enjoy them in the same way you were able to enjoy them in 2019 and, and earlier years. Everything is a hybrid. There will be information again on our website that gives insight as to what you can see and do in Washington uh, during the months uh, or the weeks that the Cherry Blossom Festival uh, is ongoing. And once we get the dates of the actual blooming of the trees, mm -hmm. we'll be able to share that with the public and um, folks can decide whether or not they want to come here as well. There usually is a race, a 5K. There could be an opportunity for that to still be ongoing. I know that they're taking registrations or their registrations ongoing for that right now. So it's really the beginning of the busy season for Washington in terms of tourism and conventions. And it coincides with the Cherry Blossom Festival and the cherry trees blooming. So we're gonna continue to monitor where we are as a destination and continue to promote what, what people can see and do. Elliot, from the business side, we know DC took a hit just like every destination because of the coronavirus pandemic. What can you share with us about what happened with, let's say, visitation numbers, hotel bookings, conventions, and so forth? Unfortunately for us, and I referenced earlier that, you know, we are an economic development organization. You know, this is an industry that employs about 80,000 Washingtonians and folks from the, the Maryland and Virginia area as well. Traditionally, the city is benefiting from an excess of $800 million in taxes gener generated by this industry. And um, every one of those numbers that I just referenced are down significantly. We're down in 2020. Visitor spending is down by $4.9 billion. We had about half a billion dollars in cancellations of major citywide conventions, which is extremely important to the city. Um, so we're not realizing those conventions and we've lost 49 groups. We've lost groups already in 2021 through the month of June. So, and, and, and with that, a lot of individuals that rely on the hospitality industry are not working and therefore there are high unemployment rates globally within the hospitality industry because of the pandemic. So DC has really been hit significantly from an economic perspective by these individuals not physically coming and visiting our city. And we're seeing very low occupancy rates in our hotels. We're cautiously optimistic with the vaccine that that will change as we move forward. But every city globally has experienced the same unfortunate circumstances because of the pandemic from an economic perspective. Do you think, though, D.C. is a little bit better situated? Because, you know, I always think of D.C. as a recession proof city because we have government and um, certainly as we're lawyers and we're, we're always working. People are always suing. So, um, <laughs> We haven't hurt. Uh, we haven't been hurt too bad this year. But do you think because of that and because there's still employment, at least in government, that the city's a little bit better positioned than others at this point? I would say that 
arguably DC is not recession proof. It just does not affect us in the same way that it affects other cities. To your point, government is still strong. They've not necessarily outside of the fact that those businesses that rely on government workers to eat in their, their establishments and those who travel for business to do business with the government, they're hurting. The hospitality industry separate and, and aside from government and other industries in Washington, D.C. has suffered significantly. What we normally say is that as we look at rebounding, we look at a lot of dynamics. We look at the economics of other countries, the opportunity to travel from those countries, which we know is pretty much non-existent for the most part right now. Um, so the international traveler won't be coming to the city for a while. We also recognize the fact that as we rebound, we are a city that has a lot of free things to see and do. So if I'm a family of four or a family of two and hadn't traveled in 2020 and we're wanting to get out and we're conscious of, of our finances, I'm going to look at a destination, hopefully like Washington, whereas I can go to 16 free museums and the zoo, which is part of the Smithsonian, that's free and take part in some of the monuments, memorials and museums that are free in the city and some of the other activities that are happening and say that DC is a value added destination simply because I can do so many things without spending additional dollars. And so that's gonna be a huge part of what we're going to be focusing on as we rebound, plus the fact that there are about 50 million people that live within 250 miles of Washington. So as people are getting back on their feet, consumer confidence about getting on a plane, staying in a hotel, we're gonna be focusing on those travelers, especially the 250-mile radius, uh, coming to Washington. Mm -hmm. I would also add that among the free things, uh, the street musicians in Washington, I think, are some of the best, really, in the nation. And, and I, when I worked right around the corner from you uh, in Gallery Place, Chinatown, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed was just the grittiness, the colorfulness of that area. And so free music. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, and post-pandemic, when those things can take place again, I, to your point, that is a part of the uniqueness of Washington as a destination. I think sometimes the image is when we talk about monuments, memorials and museums, um, some people perceive that as not necessarily fun and glamorous or quite frankly, boring. You know, I tell people, you go into one museum in Washington and you think you're going to be there for 20 minutes and you're going to go to the next one. And three hours later, you're still in one. It's a unique opportunity to see some of the things that are near and dear to people's activities in terms of coming to the nation's capital. But then they discover, to your point, the art that's in the city, the architecture of Washington, how green we are, the two rivers and the fact you can kayak or take a boat cruise, sporting events, retail, nightlife, the rooftops in Washington, D.C. that when I moved here were non-existent, but now every new building has a really cool rooftop and the mm -hmm. concerts and, and, you know, the Cherry Blossom Festival is one thing you referenced, the Jazz Festival is another, Step Africa is another unique thing that was founded in Washington, D.C. that travels globally. These are things in which we look forward to getting back on track and promoting because it gives D.C. an image above and beyond monuments, memorials, and museums. That's notwithstanding the Black experience in Washington, D.C., the history of the Black community in Washington, D.C., and the international presence that we have here uh, with 180 plus uh, embassies uh, and the fact that, you know, as we talked about social injustice, that you might see a person of color, but they may not necessarily be from Washington, D.C. or from the U.S. 
And arguably, you know, there's a large percentage of people that are not from the U.S. that live in the DMV. And that's what we also promote as being an international and, and welcoming city. Now, one of the things about Washington is that it's an iconic city because of the federal city and the monuments, Smithsonian, all of those things define Washington. But one of the things that I've come to appreciate about Washington in my many, many years here is that this really is a city of neighborhoods and it has a lot of unique districts too that people may not necessarily know about that really make this city as interesting as any city around the world. What are some places that you like when you think about this city as a city of neighborhoods uh, beyond what people know about Washington? No, you're absolutely right. And I think that the most surprising thing, especially from the international community, when they come into Washington, D.C., they're thrilled by our architecture. They're thrilled by the uniqueness of the various neighborhoods of Washington. And I've been around long enough to know, I'll never say which is my favorite, but I do live on Capitol Hill. I live, <laughs> you know, I, I live a block from Lincoln Park. And, um, you know, Lincoln Park was in um, the news quite a bit over the last few months as we were dealing with social um, injustice um, and it was culminating here in Washington, D.C. I reference Capitol Hill because I love the architecture. I love the the fact that it's, one, it's beautiful. The architecture is great. It's easy. It's accessible, um, easy to get downtown from the Capitol Hill. Eastern Market is amazing. A Street Barracks Row is amazing in terms of shops and restaurants. But to your point, you know, a lot of the global community knows Georgetown but they may not have known Shaw. And now you see with so much, so many things that have happened in the, in the Shaw neighborhood or U Street or other parts of the city, we are now able to really dissect Washington in a way where we're promoting restaurants and artists that are in these various communities that are outside of the traditional parts of Washington people, that people traditionally go to. Historic Anacostia is another good example of that, east of the river, which is an amazing area with, with rich history. So these are, that's a huge part of what we do in terms of promoting our destination. We also promote the music scene. People always ask, what's the official food of Washington, D.C.? That's a little harder to answer. Of course, we know half smokes. But um, as we think about music, you know, we, we introduce people to go-go. A lot of our videos that promote D.C. has go-go music in it. And people may have heard it. They just don't know that it's go-go music and that it originated by Chuck Brown in Washington, D.C. So we love exposing individuals globally and domestically to the uniqueness of Washington through our neighborhoods. Before we, we end, I, we have a couple of other questions for you, but I've been really struck by that beautiful image behind you. And it took me a while, but is that the Korean War Memorial? Yes, it is. I um, In my office, our, our building was built in 1896. It's the original Marlowe Furniture Store which mm -hmm. is indigenous to the DNV. So this is the first one. So so people from Washington, if I try to get them to understand where offices are, if I tell them that we're in the old Marvel Furniture Store building, they know it. The thing that I appreciate the most is, as we talk about monuments in, in, in the city is that my favorite, favorite monument or memorial is the Korean War Memorial. So to your point, that's one of the murals that I have in the office. Of course, I have a picture that was done a few years ago of President Obama, uh, the Air Force Memorial and, and others, if you don't mind me just panning around because oh, I've got a great view no, of the no. city. Yeah. You have a lovely um, view. <laughs> yeah, the Korea, the Vietnam Memorial, 
as well as other parts of the city. So it's kind of a my opportunity to not only look out and see what's happening in the city when normally we're busy with visitors coming into the city, but when I also look around my office and our office as a whole, our goal was to make sure that we in, we in, we bring Washington into our office space. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. And so <laughs> when you said initially, you said, oh, you don't like you don't like to say you have favorites. But I, I had a suspicion. So I had to ask <laughs> you about that one. I will not corner you in the favorite uh, area again. But one of the things uh, I did want to ask you when Ian and I travel, one of our hacks is um, we ask local people, you know, mostly cab drivers when we're coming from the airport, what's your favorite restaurant? Where should we go? What should we see? What should we do? And as a Washingtonian and a person who is in the know, I'm going to ask you, where do you like to go? What do you like to eat is is there a restaurant or two that um or a food category that <laughs> you uh, I, I like how you said i'm not going to put you on the spot but um <laughs> but uh, i will say this i i um i enjoy uh, the wharf i like the old seafood market um fish market in washington dc i'm notorious for going there picking up food that was prepared and going home and eating it in, in one of the parks you know, walking our dog. My wife and I, we enjoy all types of food. Because I do travel so much for work, with the exception of the last nine months, when I'm home, I like to be home. But when I think about going out to eat, we're very health conscious. So I'm, I'm very mindful of, of those experiences. But I do try to get to different parts of the city. If I were to go out and, and, and take friends that were in town out for dinner, I would take them to a neighborhood in Washington that they probably never heard of that has a really cool restaurant that might be international cuisine, simply because in my mind, I'm always promoting DC as a destination. And I feel like I want to expand people's horizons and perspectives on how unique and diverse DC is as a city. Any hints? If we were to go That's to it. dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will tell you that being a Michelin star city, uh, one of the few cities in the US with a Michelin guide, there's no shortage of great international restaurants yeah. that people can enjoy when they're in the city. I think the key thing is, is to decide what you want, be it Asian cuisine, African cuisine, uh, Caribbean cuisine. My dad's from the Caribbean. And then go from there in terms of what type of experience you want beyond that. I like when I travel, I don't like going to the mainstream restaurants. I like going where the locals are going. So I'm, I'm paying attention. If I'm in Asia, I pay attention to what side streets they go down and I'll, I'll follow them and I want to eat where they're eating. It may not be as glamorous as the restaurants that everyone else is going to, but I know the food's going to be good. Part of my goal here is to somewhat do the same thing, but that's kind of my thing. I, I ask cab drivers, I ask people on the street, but I, I base it on what type of food I'm interested in eating. Mm-hmm. So that's not that's my long way of not answering your question, but uh, hopefully that got <laughs> offers some insight. It did. It did. All right. um, one other quick thing. Are there any new things coming up this year in D.C. that you'll be promoting? I think that, you know, the Dwight Eisenhower Memorial opened last year, um, which is amazing on Independence Avenue Southwest across from the Air and Space Museum. The World War II, World War One Memorial opens right next to Freedom Plaza where all the activity is going uh, in the city in front of the Willard Hotel. I'm really looking forward to that opening. The Planet Word Museum opens this year. 
the new Spy Museum, which is about two years old now, but very amazing in terms of um, what the new home of the Spy Museum, um, where it is and, and how large it is and how unique it is. I will also say, sounds kind of geeky, but the MLK Library that's right in the heart of downtown, not far from where you used to work, just reopened, totally redone, state-of-the-art, very user-friendly, rooftop, an amazing place to be able to go and enjoy things that are happening in the city. There are a lot of anniversaries that are going to be celebrated this year. This 175th anniversary of, of the Smithsonian's, as well as so many other things that we want to be able to make sure that people have a chance to enjoy while they're in the city. The 100th anniversary of women's right to vote, at least white women's right to vote, was last year. There was not much of a celebration because of the pandemic, but we're hoping that, still, that we'll still capture people that want to come back to the city and enjoy some of those activities. Oh, wonderful. So last question, our rapid fire, pretending that everything is a-okay in the world, no pandemic, we can travel freely. If you were to, you were on a long haul flight and you could sit next to anyone you want to, other than your wife, who would that be, past or present? Who would that be and why? Hmm. Who would that be and why? I'm always going to vacillate towards family because I think that I can list a, a laundry list of amazing people and would sound great and I would be sincere about it, but I'm very much so um, involved in truly understanding the dynamics of my family. The fact that the black family does not have uh, the historical data to take us back far enough to truly know about our ancestry. So um, I've had the pleasure of knowing a lot of my great grandparents, but I was too young to ask them the harder questions. So I wish I could bring back my great-grandfather, who was born in the Bahamas in the late 1800s, had 18 children. My grandmother was the oldest. She just passed away this year at 98 years old. Oh. And, and talk about his experience in the Bahamas and then moving to the U.S. in 1918. Um, I'm doing ancestry, so I kind of knew that because my grandma was around and I, again, I had a chance to meet him. But ask him a lot of questions about his experience and ask about his parents and maybe his grandparents, because those are just, that's so important to me as, as I am, as we're all trying to gain more perspective on our, our, our history and our lives and, and who we are and where we came from. Yeah. So I'd say my great grandfather. Oh, Elliot, thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing some things that we're gonna look forward to Absolutely. in DC this year. Awesome, well, I'm happy to do it. And again, I encourage locals especially I love when people on the street say, hey, yeah, I use Washington.org all the time and I have friends coming in town or if there's a date night because we offer suggestions of itineraries and all the hot places and things that are happening in this city. So I'm, in addition to reaching out to me, I'm, I'm encouraging you all to go to our newly minted website that just came online yesterday to learn a little bit more about what's happening in this city and the inauguration as we'll continue to keep people updated. Awesome. We will certainly check that out. All right. Dear, I know we mentioned it a couple of times during the show that when we were talking to Elliot, neither of us were aware of what was getting ready to take place and what actually occurred at the Capitol. And I think had we known, our interview would have been a lot shorter at that time. But the important thing that I think everyone needs to remember is that the Washington, D.C. that was reflected uh, on the news cameras 
is not the Washington, D.C. that we know and love, uh, one that we have known for many, many years. It just put a, a, a different face that was not uh, favorable to this community. We know Washington is always the center of something, whether it's politics, protest, but history is always made here. And that doesn't detract from the beauty and grandeur of Washington on so many levels, whether it's the monuments, the museums, the memorials, the wonderful parks that we have here. All of those things add to a wonderful quality of life that we get to enjoy as residents of this area. And it's also there for the enjoyment of anyone who comes here because so much of what this city has to offer is free and it and it always will be. So I'm going to ask you something that I I asked Elliot and (laughs) almost got him in trouble, I'm afraid. But well, first, I want to mention you are a rarity in this area. You were born in Washington, D.C., and so there's not a lot of people, because this is a very transient city, there's not a lot of people who can say, you know, I'm a native of Washington, D.C. I'm not, but I call the DMV and the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. That's what we refer to as a DMV. But that aside, what is something that you love? What is the thing that you most love about this area? Washington, to me, when I think about it, I always think about the parks. I always think about the mall, whether it's Rock Creek Park and the National Zoo or even in our area, Sligo Creek. Uh, We just have so much greenery here. And one of the things that we also have, too, is a river that for some of us uh, has has uh, has been there, but we really haven't been able to enjoy it in ways that people in other cities that are more focused on the water, because even though Washington sits next to the Potomac River and also the Anacostia River runs through it, it is really a city that's focused internally on its mall, its monuments. And so a lot of people don't even think of that aspect of D.C. as kind of a cool, hip waterfront city, and Elliot kind of hinted to that. And that's one of the new things about D.C. as we go into the 21st century. And so I'm excited to see those things change here in D.C. And to me, it's exciting, and it is so different than the Washington my parents certainly lived in and remembered from their years here. So for me as, as a kid, I'm still enjoying it just like you or anyone else. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, you know, first of all, I love the embassies. I love the international offerings that we have here. I love the international restaurants. And so we've not been able to travel. And as you know, that's killing me more than anybody. It's killing me not to travel, but we've been able to travel through our palates. You know, when we dined with the Malaysian ambassador at a Malaysian restaurant, which I had no idea existed uh, in the DMV and in, well, in D.C. And so we get to do those things. We get to uh, attend events at embassies. And so when we're not traveling, we actually are because there's so much international flavor around uh, this area. And, uh, and I love the mall. I love the mall. And I'm not talking about the shopping mall. I'm talking about the national mall. I love the history. I love the monuments. And I live down there. Literally, I could on on the green, you know, because it's so beautiful. 
Speaking of history, I must say when I first moved here and I worked for a congressman and I walked the halls of Congress, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I am walking in the footsteps of history and that excites me each and every time. In closing, we'd love to leave you with these words from Katherine Graham, the trailblazing publisher who led the Washington Post and became the first female to head a Fortune 500 company. One doesn't soon forget the natural beauty of Washington, although those of us who live here do sometimes take it for granted. So true. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're so honored that you chose to take this adventure with us. Thank you for spending this time and allowing us to connect you to the world through stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast. 